The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. And well, good morning, everyone. Thanks, Dave and worship team. Uh, my name is Chris Hanchy, and I'm really honored to be here. I am a Rustin boy. Uh, Sixteen and a half years ago, I married my high school sweetheart. We have traveled the world. We're in the thick of it with three kids, nine, eight, and five. Does anybody feel my pain in that? Like, it is great. Uh, we've been through the ringer these last few years. We battled cancer three times in five years, and we just couldn't be more blessed to be where we are. So I am here. I'm honored to be here today. I love Jordan Smith. That's why I'm here. I think this is like the last bit of the vetting process to see if I've got any dirt on him. I do, but I don't think it disqualifies him from serving uh, in the office of elder. And so just really thank you guys for letting me be here. Uh, My history with Norris Ferry goes a long way back. I feel really connected to you guys. Uh, As you were just getting started, the core families actually came to our church in Ruston one Sunday and worshiped and we had lunch together. Uh, And I feel like on a yearly basis, we send tribute to you guys in the form of new church members uh, who moved from Ruston to Shreveport. And so I know a lot of you guys, I know some of you have spent time in Ruston. Uh, I think I actually was the person who introduced Tracy Graham to Dave Granger. I'm not sure that's true, but I'm taking credit for it. Uh, And so I think I had a little part in this. And so uh, just a lot of dear friends here and I know that this is a big day for you guys as a church. Um, Appointing elders is a really significant thing. Uh, God's uh, plan for the world is the local church. Um, And so God takes very seriously who leads that and how they lead it and where they take it. Uh, I've been serving as an elder at my home church for about four years. And before that, for a couple of years, I... I met with the elders and went to all the meetings just to be in the room and learn. And on the day I was ordained, one of our pastors came to my wife and said, hey, are you ready for the spiritual weight uh, that's going to come with this? And she was like, what's going to change? Chris has already been meeting with them for years. And he said, oh, it's going to change. There's a a weight that comes with this office that you simply can't prepare for. And I'll say that has certainly been true. Uh, I know the, the guys who have served in this room uh, as elders certainly know that and have felt that. Um, so that's a significant thing. And I'm here because I know Jordan Smith. I uh, love this guy and I believe he is qualified biblically to serve in this role. And I think he'll do it faithfully and with humility and with excellence. I know he, he takes this very, very seriously. Uh, and so what I want to do in our time this morning is just give you uh, from a passage of scripture, we're going to look at four essentials for spiritual leadership. And um, I, I know that's real close to home for Jordan today. It's, it's, it's uh, very applicable to those of you men who are in here who are serving or have served or will serve as elder. But really for all of us, this is something that is very relevant. Maybe you're a community group leader, uh, a parent, a teacher, or a coach. Um, maybe you're just an intentional friend who leans in spiritually to the people around you. But God ultimately has entrusted spiritual leadership to all of us because we have people around us that we've been given the responsibility to invest in. 
uh, and to, to help them grow along in their journey and process with God. So to that end, I want us to think about spiritual leadership and these essential characteristics of those of us who want to engage faithfully in this task. And to do that, I want to look at a passage of Scripture in the book of Luke chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible, turn there with me. Uh, I feel a little tension today that I'm not preaching a traditional Christmas passage, and it is pretty close. So I'm like in no man's land here teaching uh, a miracle from the life of Jesus. Uh, I think it's okay. This is still true a week and a half before Christmas. So, uh, But I think this is a really relevant passage to where Jordan is and where a lot of us are uh, in this place this morning. So this is a pivotal moment in the book of Luke. Uh, up to this point, Jesus has been demonstrating his authority through what he's teaching and he's performing miracles, he's healing people. And this, this group of 12 men that he's called apostles, he set them apart, their disciples uh, have been watching him. And at the beginning of chapter nine, he gathers them together and says, okay, it's your turn. You go do all the things that you've been watching me do. And he actually gives them authority to do it. And they go and they do it. They do all the crazy things that Jesus has been doing. And it appears they have some success. And we're going to pick up in verse 10 when they come back and report to Jesus. Look at verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Now, I don't want to read too much into that, but there's a little bothersome phrase in there. Do you see it? What they had done. And maybe there's nothing to it. But if they're anything like us, if I have any success, I like to think that I had a little something to do with it. So they come back and said, Jesus, look what we did. And Jesus says, hold on, Sparky. You know, you got a lesson to learn here. And so he goes on, then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. The book of Matthew actually gives us a little more context uh, for what's going on. Jesus just learned that John the Baptist has been executed. And so part of him wanting to get away is really to grieve and to mourn the loss of, in his words, the greatest man who has ever lived. So he's hurting and he's exhausted, and he just wants some space and time with his closest friends to process this a little bit. So they get in a boat and cross the, the Sea of Galilee, which is really just an average-sized lake, uh, and verse 11, but the crowds learned about it and followed him. Uh, Mark tells us that, that they actually see Jesus and the disciples get in the boat, and so the crowds... Uh, run around the perimeter of the lake and beat them to Bethsaida. So when Jesus lands on shore, hoping for a little retreat, he gets thousands of people clamoring for him. Verse 14 says that it's about 5,000 men. We have no reason to believe that no women and children would have been present. So it's it's not out of the question that 20,000 people are standing on the shore waiting for Jesus here. Y'all, any of us would crack under this kind of pressure. Grieving, exhausted, we want some space, and more people, thousands of people demanding our attention. I work on a daily basis with about eight people, and I like all of them a lot. But I still get off work at 5 p.m. I go home exhausted, and I just collapse in a chair shut my eyes for a few seconds and breathe 
And then I open my eyes and there are four other human beings who expect my attention, time, and energy. It's not fair at all. And most days I crack under that level of stress. That's 12 people who need something from me in like a 12-hour period. And Jesus here, he just needs some space, but there's a multitude. Let's see how he responds. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. The compassion of our Savior is absolutely beautiful. He welcomed them. That's a heart word. That means he didn't meet their needs out of obligation or compulsion. He wasn't muttering under his breath. This is a hospitality word. He let them in. Those times where there's just nothing else to give, and he gave. He taught them. He heals them. He meets their needs. Jesus here is modeling for these disciples exactly what he's about to teach them. So in verse 12, we see this, that late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the, the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. So the disciples are listening to Jesus go on and on and they're watching the sun slowly descend in the sky and they're getting antsy. Because they know that if darkness falls, we're in the middle of nowhere. People can't travel and they're hungry. And it's going to be our responsibility to feed them. They, they assume they're noticing something that Jesus is missing. Don't we do that? That's why we worry. Like we're seeing something that he's missing as if the sovereign savior of the world is going to say, oh, I'll let time get away from me. That really slipped my attention. Not going to happen, right? And there's some comfort here for me. That Jesus is not alarmed by the things that alarm me. Like we get all bent out of shape and worried because we think we see something coming. And Jesus is fine. He's not stressing out. He's completely in control. And so much to the disciples' surprise, I'm sure, in verse 13, he replies, you give them something to eat. Like you got a hot pocket in your garment there, Jesus, that you're going to share with somebody because there's a lot of people here and there's no food. Now, to the, to the disciples' credit, they actually go through the crowd and see if they can find food, which is kind of laughable because Jesus is telling them to do something that is obviously impossible, but it shows maybe some naivety, but maybe some level of trust too. Like, Jesus, that's crazy, but because you say so, We'll try. And they go and they look around. And John tells us that they find one kid who brought a lunch. And they come back. They answer, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. So this multitude of people, thousands. And they're standing there with a happy meal. You got to... They felt absolutely ridiculous. Like, what do you say? You've told us to feed these people. Here's what we got. We can't. We simply don't have enough. And so the first essential for spiritual leadership that we see in this passage is inadequacy. Inadequacy. Lord, I can't do it. 
I just don't have enough. We have to come to the point where we see the task, we see what we have, and we realize it's, it's just not enough. Serving Jesus means we have to embrace our limitations. The elders in the room today, you know this, you feel it, because there's always too much to do. There's just more need than there is ability. Like we can't meet every need. We can't be enough places at once. We don't know enough right answers. We can't heal the sick. We can't change hearts. I don't have enough time in the day or energy in my body to do what needs to be done. We are limited on every side by time, by space, by wisdom, by power and energy. And so we have to come to this place where we say, I simply can't do it. This is all I have. And some of you are right there today. You're standing in front of some mountain that's completely overwhelming to you to the point that you don't even know that you can start walking towards it. And maybe that's a broken relationship or tension at home. Or maybe you've got some financial struggles going on. Maybe this is a sin issue that you're dealing with. Or maybe it's just hard at work, but you feel like you're going against something that is just bigger than you are, and you are overwhelmed by your own inadequacy. My wife and I, we're in the thick of it. I I told you we're we're raising a nine-year-old. My son turned eight yesterday and a five-year-old, so fourth grade, second grade, kindergarten. And like on a weekly basis, we look at each other and just say, I don't know that we can do this. You ever feel like that as parents? Like, this isn't working. Like, we try every day and nothing seems to be sticking. And God has given us this this command, you know, take these Tasmanian devils and in 15 years, they need to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, you might as well be telling me to feed thousands with a happy meal. Like, this, this doesn't make any sense sense. And we, we, we struggle with our inadequacy and it can be paralyzing at times. And we think, you know, in our insecurity, what if everybody else finds out what I already know very well, that I'm not capable of doing what needs to be done. Can I give you some encouragement? Jesus knows you're not faking him out. He knows your weakness He knows your inadequacy. He knows that all you got is a happy meal. And he says, give them something to eat. He still invites us into this task. He still says, you have a part to play in what I'm doing. So we embrace this inadequacy. And if we assume that we have what it takes, Jordan, if you think you got what it takes to lead people and change them, then you fail. Like the goal is dependence and weakness. We can't do it. So Jesus says, you give them something to eat. They say, this is all we have. The end of verse 14. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. Now that that seems small, but this is a big deal. 
hey, there's thousands of people here. Get them to all self-organize into groups of 50. This is a minor miracle. Like I've been to a youth camp before. This doesn't just happen. You don't just call out, everybody circle up. Like this is mayhem. And really the disciples are going out on a limb because they've got no reason to think that this is going to go anywhere. They just know there's a lot of people, hardly any food, and Jesus has just told us to do something that's really hard that all signs point to the fact that this is going to be very public humiliation for us when we're now barking out orders to people and telling them to all sit down in circles of 50. But they do it. So the second essential of spiritual leadership that we see here is obedience. We're inadequate, And yet we obey because we trust him. This is the normal way that Jesus calls us to follow him in faith. Like we come against these moments of crisis and we've all got them. And a lot of times we can be paralyzed with the question, how is Jesus going to deliver us through this? Like what's the end? And y'all, we almost never know the answer to that question. Almost never What we do know is, what's the next right step? What's the next way for me to obey him? And it may be just something really small. But this is what he calls us to. The disciples don't know what's about to happen. He just said, have them sit down. And so they say, okay, we obey. So they do that. And then look at verse 16. Taking the five loaves... And the two fish. So you, you feed them. Well, we can't. This is all we have. Give me what you have. You see that? He took the little that they had. Which, which the third essential for spiritual leadership here that we see is sacrifice. Inadequacy, obedience, and sacrifice. Do you see that? So we see the immensity of the task. We see our own inadequacy. In light of that, and yet we let go of the little that we do have. And when we sacrifice something, when we let go so that others can gain, so that they can grow, Jesus goes to work. And that's a really powerful thing. And part of me feels for the little boy, like the one kid who was responsible enough to think ahead and bring a lunch, you know? And somewhere in the back of this story, there's a very proud Jewish mother. Like, that's my boy. He thought ahead. And he could have had a really good meal. He was good. And Jesus said, give it to me. You see that there's, there's an element of risk and loss. Like, I have something, but he's asking me to let go of it and surrender it. To his purposes, and that's never easy. So, all of us in whatever sphere of spiritual influence that God's called us to, you have something. It's not everything, and it's not enough, but it's something. It's your own little version of a happy meal that you're holding there. And you can either decide it's not enough, so I'm just gonna pack it away and go do my own thing. Or you can say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you that you can do more with this than I'm able to see right now. And so I give it over to your purposes. And that's what happens. So taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke them. 
And this isn't a big point today, but I just want to point out, he gave thanks. Look at the, the gratitude that Jesus models here. He, he's got a comically insufficient amount of food in front of this multitude. And he thanks God for it. He says, this is a gift. When I live at a deficit, I almost always only focus on the deficit with a good amount of bitterness and worry mixed in there. But Jesus says, no, 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 everything we have is a gift from a good and faithful God. And so he gives thanks, he broke them, and then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. And so the disciples begin to take this food as Jesus gives it, and they give it to the people. And what's crazy about this miracle is that we really don't know how it happens. None of the four gospels tell us what actually goes on and how Jesus multiplies this food. All we know is that the disciples keep coming back for more and there's always more. And this is, this is almost certainly Jesus' most, most public miracle. Um, 20,000 people experienced it. Like they had a meal when there was not enough food. Uh, which is probably the reason that this is the only miracle outside of the resurrection that's included in all four Gospels. Like this would have been a huge thing and impossible to fabricate. Like the only reason to write about this in every Gospel when these people were still alive, and you could check this out, is if this actually went down like this. Like go to the Sea of Galilee, ask around. 20,000 people experienced this whole thing. So this happened, but it's so simple. This miracle to me is remarkable in its ordinariness. You had hungry people and they ate. And really, it doesn't look like a miracle at all. If you had been there, it wouldn't have looked like much. It would have looked like 12 exhausted guys making a lot of trips back and forth. That's what you would have seen. And Jesus could have done something different, right? He could have gone and bellowed some incantation and bounty-filled cornucopias, you know, fabricated out of thin air uh, right in the middle of all these cir circles. He could have done this Hogwarts style, you know, a big to-do, a big show. But he doesn't do that. This miracle is amazing in how understated it is. You just have 12 tired guys. It didn't look like a miracle at all. It just... Looked like service. So the fourth essential of spiritual leadership that we see is faithfulness. It's faithfulness. They just kept showing up. It wasn't amazing to see. There was no fanfare. But with Jesus, what looks and feels like tedium is often a miracle. He goes to work in our ordinary, everyday, boring faithfulness. Within the last couple of years, I read a book that has really encouraged and challenged me as a pastor. And I want to read you a paragraph out of it. This is by Zach Eswine. The book's called The Imperfect Pastor. He says this, as you enter ministry, you'll be tempted to orient your desires toward doing large things in famous ways as fast and as efficiently as you can. But take note, a crossroads waits for you. Jesus is that crossroads. 
Because almost everything in life that truly matters will require you to do small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time with him. We all want to do fast, famous, big things. But ministry with Jesus is almost always doing small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time. It's about faithfulness. That's where Jesus shows up. And what feels like the mundane is a miracle. John actually connects the theological dots of this miracle a, more than, a little more than the other gospels because Jesus gives commentary on it. And in debriefing this with the disciples, he says, you know why the masses were so excited? Uh, it's because they thought I was like Moses, another great prophet. Because Moses provided bread in the wilderness and I gave them bread in the wilderness. But Jesus says, but they missed it. Because I'm not like Moses. I'm the bread. I'm the sustenance. I'm what they need. I'm not just another prophet pointing them in the way to go. I'm the one who can give life to them. And so elders and parents and community group leaders and kids ministry volunteers, the people that you're leading, they don't need you. They need Jesus. He's the bread. He's the point. You're not enough. Be free in that. Thank God we're not enough. Jesus is life and sustenance. How? What happened to the bread? It's in verse 16. It was, it was broken. If the bread stays whole, you see that? If the bread stays whole, we die, we starve. But if the bread's broken, we live. And that's our great hope. That Jesus lived this perfect life and died our death and thereby gives us spiritual life and the right to become children of God to know him. He's our hope. So they need Christ, not us. This church does not need Jordan Smith. It needs Jesus Christ. Shreveport, it needs the risen Christ. And that's our great hope. So amazingly, in everything we've seen, he meets us in our inadequacy. He is faithful through our obedience. He gives abundantly in our sacrifice. And he works miracles through our faithfulness. So let's embrace that and let's lean into him, uh, believing that he can do great things, even through us. So let's pray. Lord, we love you because you have loved us. And we thank you that you're a God who speaks. We thank you for your word, uh, that it's not archaic, but it's new that you're speaking it even now. Lord, we thank you for this passage in particular because we feel so much like those apostles. Just overcome with inadequacy and limitations and failure and messing up more, more times than we get it right. 
And yet you call us to yourself and you commission us to do your work. And Lord, we're blown away by that. And we want you to find us faithful, but we need your grace. Uh, So would you work in and through us as we serve you? In Jesus' name, amen. What a great word and reminder of the Lord's faithfulness to us in all of our callings. At this time, I would like to invite Jordan and Brittany to come and join me here. Uh, Much of the way we do church is based on a passage that the Lord used in the early days to really uh, strike at home with us, and that passage is Hebrews 13, 17. In this passage, we are instructed, the church is instructed to obey the leaders and to submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Uh, In those words, we see the church voluntarily uh, yields herself to the leadership of the pastors and elders, which are the the same two terms that are synonymous for what we are setting uh, Jordan apart to do. But the church voluntarily submits to the leadership of the elders. Um, And the church recognizes that the elders are submitting to the leadership of Christ and that the elders will give account for how they cared for every single soul of the members of this church. And, and so we take that very seriously. The, those souls are precious to the Lord, and so they're precious to us. And that's why every member of our church is in a small group, a community group. Every community group has uh, leaders and co-leaders, and every one of those community groups has an elder assigned to that group. And that's the, the best way we can figure out how to try to give a careful account for every single soul that the Lord entrusts to us. And so now I want to just ask Jordan to make these vows of affirmation to you, the church, and to the Lord. And so, uh, Jordan, I ask you, do you reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? I do. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do. do you sincerely believe the statement of faith and covenant of this church that it contains the truth taught in the Holy Scripture? I do. do you promise that if you at any time find yourself out of accord with any of the statements of faith and the covenant, that you will, on your own initiative, make known to the pastors and other pastors the change which has taken place in your views since your assumption of this vow. I will. Do you subscribe to the government and discipline of Norris Ferry Community Church? I do. Do you promise to submit to your fellow elders in the Lord? I do. Have you been induced, as far as you know your own heart, to accept the office of elder from love of God and sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? I have and I will. Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? I will. Will you be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as elder, whether personal or relative, private or public, and will you endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the ministry of the gospel in your manner of life 
and to walk with exemplary piety before this congregation. Are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as an elder to oversee the ministry and resources of the church and to devote yourself to prayer, to the ministry of the word, and the shepherding of God's flock, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Norris Ferry Community Church and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. Now invite covenant members of the Norris Ferry family to please stand and make your vows as well. Will the covenant members commit as members, do you, members of Norris Ferry Community Church, acknowledge and publicly receive this man as elder, as a gift of Christ to this church? Will you love him and pray for him and his ministry and work together with him humbly and cheerfully that by the grace of God you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving him all due honor and support in his leadership to which the Lord has called him to the glory and honor of God. Thank you. Please be seated. At this time, I would like to invite anyone who has, any man who has ever been ordained for the ministry of the gospel in any church. Also invite their family of Jordan and Brittany and I invite anyone who feels a personal, a special personal connection, you're welcome to come as well. And if you are a community group leader, uh, if you and your spouse would come to represent the church, come and we're just going to give you an opportunity to pray one by one over Brittany and Jordan at this time. So I invite you to begin to come forward. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.